And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show, a man who is an all-round sports guru and a lover of all things schnitzel, Mr. Timmy Gilbert. That's a, that's the nicest <laughs> intro I've ever had. Uh, look, guru is probably a bit strong. Schnitzel's 100% correct. I'd surprised you didn't mention The Sound of Music or Willy Wonka in there. But uh, What do you they, mean? Course, oh, they're passions of mine, those kinds of movies. You're so full of it. No, no, no. Truly? No, no, 100%. Okay, if this is the first thing that we've gotten to mm. and it's this big a revelation, then we, I mean, we don't really even need to talk any longer. Are you uh, lying to my no, face? No, no, I always start strong, though. I mean, like uh, things like the sound of music where a door closes, a window opens. I've got some very useless information in my mind about old movies, yeah. Do you get a chance, because of course you are the sports guy on Channel 9's Today Show, do you get a chance to sort of live out any of those loves? On Do, do you talk about that a lot on the show? Yeah, never, quite, quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I've got to send you some tapes. But, um, <laughs> no, no, I do, and, and that's one of the real fortunate things about this position. I Having been at Channel 9, like in June, it'll be 21 years. But this job, I am the sports man, so mm. to speak, but it's become a more boundary-spanning role in yeah. so many ways, this role, because it's such a big show. So you get thrown a lot of different things. And one of the great thrills for me over the past couple of years was the opportunity to interview Julie Andrews, of course, who was Maria Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. So it was really interesting because she's producing uh, My Fair Lady and uh, I almost got kicked out of the interview, to be honest with you, because I was wanting to talk so much about Sound of Music but and it was all about My Fair Lady. But anyway, uh, I digress. It was really nice to have a chat because, uh, yeah, I love those movies because I'm one of six kids and, and mum and dad on a Friday night – It'd either be Jubes or Rocky Roads that had come home from Dad, which would be a treat. And we'd watch an old movie, whether it be one of those types or the John Sturgis movies. Um, Used to love them, the Magnificent Seven or the Dirty Dozen or The Great Escape, all that kind of stuff, yeah. That's a real surprise. Um, I haven't even asked a single question. You are a great interview subject. too much. (laughs) No, it's good. If you just continually volunteer information, I won't have to ask a damn thing. I've always had my hand up. (laughs) That's great. I like that. So... This show is all about the beginnings of the career and how you got into it, which I think is particularly good for you because you have been at Channel 9 for 20, 21 years. Uh, June, I think it's June 1 will be 21 years at 9, yeah. But there are a number of things about, despite having a 21-year career at Channel 9, that concern me. The first is there's barely an ounce of information about you online and your past. I feel like you committed a crime and Channel 9 have covered it up. I, <laughs> like something's happened, like your entire slate's been wiped clean. And I, when you started on the Today Show doing sports, I'd seen you on Wide World, Wide World of Sports, mm. but only kind of a year or so before you started doing Today Show. Prior to that, I'd never seen your face before. This is my great dream, having a really successful ongoing career on good high-profile shows but not having all of the crap of the paps and I that think, kind of stuff. I, I think I'm uninteresting, you know. <laughs> that's I, a good I, thing I, to I'm happy, be. That's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, look, I've always lived a pretty, um, look, a happy life, but a life just very normal by my definition, whatever normal is. But um, I started in radio and I travelled quite a bit covering cricket and that's where I really got my start at Channel 9. So in the early days at Channel 9, I did a lot of producing. Um, right. Like I produced cricket series uh, over in India when uh, we were running the production of cricket in India. So spent a lot of time over there and worked on many shows, a lot of rugby league shows like mm-hmm. um, contributors to the footy shows and all those types of things and sideline positions on um, 
football games and London Olympics as a roving reporter or Vancouver Olympics as a roving reporter, Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur back in 1998 when you were still at school. Um, so all that stuff. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let us go through all of that stuff and work out where you have come from because this was the amazing Let's thing. start from the very beginning. <laughs> Please, mm. anytime you want to sing. It's a very good place to sing. You, you just let it go. Um, so take me back. I'm talking really early days. Mm. When you were a kid, yep. what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, as I mentioned, uh, as a boy of the 1970s, I was a big fan of the Don Lane show and all oh, the variety. Yes. And I thought that um, Bert Newton was just the king, which he was and his. I, I used to love it when he'd come and dress up as Demis Roussos or one of the Osmonds. I've just got a coffee. Please. <coughs> I can do that in radio. Can um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I fell in love with TV, so I wanted to stay up all night and watch things like the Don Lane Show. I also love sporting shows, uh, and I've always been a, a big person for sport. So, so yeah, there was a passion that um, started to grow then, and I really enjoyed radio. And I, as I got a little bit older and went to uni and did a communications degree, really enjoyed listening to Alan Jones and those other types of guys that were doing talkback. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the general love for it was born there. What, what about your brother? Because Kieran Gilbert, he works for Sky News. He's the politics guy down mm-hmm. in Canberra. Was Did he similarly, did you both have the same kind of pull towards media? Obviously, you've gone in different ways, but which one's older of the two of you? That's nice of you to say that. Well, you know, look, because Kieran is the last of six. So their mum and dad had five under five and I was the wow. fourth of those. But I'm seven years older than Kieran, so I was in year 12 when he was in fifth class. So I used to take him to school. So, yeah, he's like my best friend, but I was like the, the big old bad brother. So, yeah. So, so did he follow you into it then? Well, well I, I suppose um, he saw exposure to the media in what I was doing, but mm-hmm. uh, he then drove in another direction. So it was obviously a passion of his. He's, all the brains went to him. He's a <laughs> clever guy. Um, yeah. And he he went off to Bathurst and studied and went off and did his master's in foreign affairs and, and just loved the whole beat of politics. He started similarly uh, in country radio up in 4CA in Cairns. But, yeah, look, I, I suppose you get exposed to different things mm. and you pick up what you like. Mm. What, what was your first non-media job? Did you have a job as a teenager? Yeah, I, I, I did, had all sorts of jobs. I worked on a milk run. I worked on a paper run. I worked in a cake shop. I did market research. I did heaps of different jobs. Um, yeah, and it, it, I worked at the fruit market selling mangoes and selling rock melons. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you had to work to have yeah. a bit of extra money in your pocket. It was interesting when I did the milk run and, and the guy on the milk run said, look, as part of, you're not going to get a lot of money, but as part of your job, you can have as many moves as you want. Now, it's all oak milk now, but moves with the chocolate. And one night I I think I, I drank 18 and I was wondering why he released me from employment a couple of days later. What about, so you went into uh, media and communications at university. So did you, was that the sort of plan you're thinking, okay, I, lo- I love the media side of things. I'm going to go to university and study it and try and get into it. Was that always the sort of step well, by yeah, step? Yeah, it was journey? a vague desire. I was right. a pretty lazy student. Um, and my dad still reminds me these days. He goes, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't study. Anyway, you've, you're done all right now. Uh, but the, yeah, I stumbled my way in. It was the first year of the degree. It was called Nepean College of Advanced Education, which is is now University of Western Sydney and uh, it was the first year of that communications degree and it's gone on to be uh, quite a a good degree really over the course of time and many of the young people that have come and work with us went through that degree but uh, yeah I, I think the best part of that time of my life the degree was 
growing up, I was exposed to so many different things that I wasn't exposed to as a boy. Like going to a, a Catholic boys' school, girls were there, but you didn't really understand them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I just that was just the tip of the iceberg. The whole idea that some people didn't believe in God and, and, and just the whole matrix of life, if I can use that phrase. Was, I found the same good. thing because I went to mm. a private girls' school, um, Presbyterian, still don't know after 15 years at the same school what Presbyterian is, but, um, but it was very... I felt exactly the same. When I got to university, and I think by year 12, I was dying for university because I had really become aware that my world in this school was so, so small and I was dying for people with different ideas, different outlooks and going into university, being open to all of those people with different backgrounds, lifestyles, sexualities, also, you know, even just, you're right, being Mm. exposed to the opposite sex all the time and sharing classes and building relationships like friends Mm. in that situation where it's not like, oh, we only see each other at a school dance or something. You literally you know, become mates with these guys and stuff. It was such an eye-opening experience. So how did you get from university to the first job? Was the first job in Goldman on radio? No, no. So I worked in PR for a couple of years. Um, did you? I yeah. cannot imagine you as a PR no, girl. No, no, no. no, exactly. So it didn't work. Um, so to, look, I started with uh, Garuda Indonesia was my, as, a, as a marketing you? assistant. And... Um, yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, so that was I did that for about a year, and then I, I worked in for a timber industry in a, in a role there. And and look, by the time I'd got a year into that job, I just thought I've got to have a crack at this because because it was always this underlying mm, love of uh, of getting in the media. And I thought, well, I'm not enjoying this at all. I need to have a go. So I went to Max Rowley's Media Academy, Radio Two M R. Max Rowley. I've never heard of Haven't it. You know never. That? Max Rowley. It was huge. I'm, Plenty of people listening to this. And Max would have his honour roll up on the board. Um, Max Rowley was the voice of The Great Temptation and The John Laws Show, one of the great voices. So I went there to radio school and worked on my voice and then applied for jobs everywhere like a lot of people did and but by that stage I had this belief that it was going to work and I was single-minded and I hadn't been single-minded about things to that point I thought there was a vague liking I'd wanted to do it but having been exposed to a job that I didn't like I thought well I want to do this Mm -hmm. I really want to do this and look I applied for jobs in Port Augusta some bloke said I had a lisp I applied (laughs) for a job as a snow (laughs) reporter and the bloke goes mate you just don't have that zippity doodah another guy (laughs) thought I was too old another guy so all those knockbacks that a lot of us get and finally um, probably nine ten months in I got offered a job at Hits and Memories 2GN in Goulburn so Goulburn was two hours south of Sydney so I took the job and so how did you how long were you there in Goulburn two years or just under two years so I ended up starting doing a night show and then uh, quickly a few months in few things happened and I became the morning announcer and that was such a great experience again you play it was a long shift nine till one or two I think it was and then you'd read ads and maybe do a bit of news later in the day but but you'd interview everyone from the BGs to politicians driving through and take talk back and I remember we had the thing called the reaction line and you know what do you think of uh, reverse parking in the main street should it be because it was also going through that whole process in Goulburn where the bypass was going in right. I was in Goulburn because there was no bypass everyone went straight down Auburn Street yeah um, so anyway anyway morning Goulburn um <laughs> But I, th- I thought my career was over before it began because I'd obviously had this other job and had to take a pay cut and got this job in Goulburn. So I, you'd pull a midweek shift and then on Friday, on Saturday morning, I had to do the Saturday morning show. Mm. And it's it's a few months in and um, 
I also hosted the Okie Dokie Karaoke for 50 bucks and <laughs> a beer voucher at the local, at the local pub. So anyway, one night, <laughs> one thing led to another. A few a few versions of Dragon and a few of us partied on quite late. And I had to do the breakfast show the following morning. So I had my alarm set, but, you know, I was not in good nick. So the alarm was set and the big job was to take the tape recording off the night before. So uh, back in those days, it was the early days oh, of automated overnights. Mm-hmm. So there were six hours of automation and that was to finish at about six past six. But I, by that stage, should have had the news on or the rural news at right, bang on six. Mm. So anyway, I've half woken up in a stupor, whacked my alarm. It was two minutes to six. I had an eight minute drive. <sighs> So you can imagine, I've just got the dream job. I'm driving in this old champagne-coloured Sigma <laughs> that I had, burning down the street. I think I had half a shirt on. And I just heard that last song fade out. It was America's, I went through the desert with the horse. I love that yeah. song. And it just oh, faded, it faded out to nothing. So <laughs> the Sigma's flying down. And I finally get in, alarms are going off. And I ran into the studio and I chucked on one of the old carts and it wowed in. It was that old Julian Lennon song, Salt Water, which, oh, was, yeah. which was rubbish anyway. But it started, and I sat back in the chair. The station had been off for four minutes. I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm gone. It's over before it began. So I'm just sitting there thinking, and I'm, I'm petrified. The boss is going to ring. Everyone's going to ring, and it's all done. Three <laughs> minutes later, the red light flashed. Right. So I thought, here we go. So I pick up the phone. I said, 2GN, G'day, mate. It's uh, Tom Janks down here at Bigger. There's something wrong with that radio there. <laughs> I was waiting to get that rural news on. She didn't come. I said, oh, look, how is it now? We had some transmitter problems. Now, just put that up to – and he goes, oh, she's coming through beautiful now. I said, well, don't worry. I'll put that rural news back on at 7.30, and you'll get all the Vila prices, and we'll be on our way. I got a similar phone call from another guy in the country, a farm. And that was it. So I quickly realised I had not hit Broadway. There were two people listening that morning. So I, my job was safe. <laughs> That's great, though, because those are the really the places that you you want to make those mistakes because then when you move, you'll never make the same mistake again. Once you've flown into work in the Sigma with half a shirt on and heard the old, you know, horse with no name go to nothing, you won't make the same mistake again. No, it was again. frightening. And, and, and interesting about that Sigma, uh, for, for <laughs> 10 months I couldn't fix the reverse, so I had no reverse. No. I didn't have enough money to fix it. So I had to drive far enough. I had to park far enough away from the car in front. I was always going forward. It was an anecdote of The Sigma could only go forwards. I didn't even know it was possible for a car to run out of reverse. Yeah, they, they could back then. <laughs> That's great. So did you, you were talking about the Okie Dokie karaoke. Mm. Um, were there any other, because this is the other magical thing about regional that I love talking about is those crappy gigs that you do. Like, well, you know, we used to have to go out to Amber Tiles on the weekend and do the weekend broadcast where we'd just talk about tile prices for three hours or, you know, we'd host the Blue Light Disco and Paddy Gerard and I are up there. You know, I was probably mid mid 20s at the time or early 20s at the time I guess he was late 30s and he's sitting up there watching all these you know 16 year olds pash going I should not be here this is a weird place to sort of be a a grown-up hosting a show did you have any of those sort of amusing weird regional gigs that you did? I remember hosting Miss Australia um, southern region one time and so like it was, it was all the all the collection of uh, young ladies that were going forward I was about to say wow Miss Australia that's really good for a regional immense southern yeah yeah region. it was one of the, it was one of a hundred different portions of, of Australia but uh, one of the girls came up and she go, uh, said so what do you like and she goes oh 
Look, I love flower arrangements. Unbelievable. Fantastic. And I also look at, I love working on my boyfriend's Monaro. That's what I love to do. So, yeah. Anyway, she was lovely. But, the, but all sorts of different things. Remember the promos we used to have? We used to have the Goulburn uh, beach party, you know, and Goulburn's about three hours from any beach. So, it had to be at the local pool. So, some of the catch lines, you know, fun sun and a sausage on a bun, the Goulburn beach party. Come down to the pool and go down the water slides and all that sort of thing. I really love regional radio <laughs> but it's so great. much. Look, I just loved I – lo- I, I grew such a love for the town mm. and I love the country and I find – uh, my wife and I, before we were married, very early on, we it has, wasn't a great investment financially, but we we bought a place up in the Blue Mountains because we spent a lot of our courting days up there in the Blue Mountains. Yeah. And I find when I get to the country, I don't know what, what what it's like for you, but I find my whole heart rate drops. And I and I hadn't spent much time in the country until I went to Goulburn. It's nice. Life. So you slower. took to that move well because sometimes that move to regional people find very difficult, particularly no, if you've come from the city. It was tough originally, mm. but I think I think once once you let it wash over you and you slow down, you grow to love it. And as time's gone by, I just enjoy uh, getting out to the country more and more. I think the other thing about those kind of stations and those kind of gigs is you really are big fish in a little pond. You know, you are so much a part of the community as somebody yeah. on the local radio station, you know, and if you really open your... Sometimes so- you've only got two people listening, but I don't <laughs> mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Mm. But, you know, people, people, everyone in the town knows the local radio station and, you know, knows the, the people on it. So it, it, there is a real opportunity there that you don't get in your Cap City where you are seriously ingrained in, in the environment in which you work, whereas yeah. sometimes you just feel like a cog in a wheel in big city. And I, and I think they uh, people are proud of you as well. Now that I've had some semblance of success and people know who I am, uh, the people of Goulburn, wherever I run into say, oh, I'm from Goulburn, I remember yeah. you, I remember you. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's all that as well. How did you – where was the next jump from Goulburn? Where did you move after From that? Goulburn, I uh, ended up getting an overnight show. So, like, I used to spin discs, like the <laughs> Julian Lennon song and, and – <laughs> And that's that's pretty much the path that most people, you know, you know, you went country, then you tried to get back to the city and all that. Mm. I got a job doing an overnight show, um, syndicated show, at Two UE. Probably twenty five stations around the and you're playing music. And How did that come about? Were you approached, or did you? No, the job. Be, jo- the, there was a job that became available, and mm. I knew a guy that had actually gone from around our area to take it and he'd gone on to another role so I just chucked my hat in the ring and I got the job so I did an overnight I did that for about 11 months and then because my history was journalism and I'd studied it and loved sport a role in the sports department just a juniorish role came available so I put my hand up for that and that's how I snuck in that way right and so then what's the i mean reader's digest version of the Mm. trajectory from from there was it literally a lot of those back behind the scenes you were saying you were doing a fair bit of producing was it majority sort of a a bit part player doing sort of coverage here and there and and then a bit of producing no 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 there was no producing in in radio it was all on air so the the tue stuff was was all on air and then as as time grew you're reading the sport on the news and then i would fill in on sports today which was the show that peter Bosley used to host then uh, I started as a reporter on the the, the cricket on uh, the great summer of cricket so I'd travel around the country as the scorer reporter I, I did the scoring and reporting uh, <laughs> with some of the great names Doug Walters uh, Norm O'Neill Kerry O'Keefe that was the uh, that team and then I ended up doing the uh, anchoring the continuous call from the studio Ray Hadley's so they'd be Ray be out at the ground and I'd be the guy in the studio okay let's take it back to Ray is at North Sydney Oval. Right. so I did that but 
alongside the footy in summer i'd do the cricket and my big break at channel nine came when i went to india and pakistan in 1996 to cover the world cup the cricket world cup for radio so australia had and i'll say this quickly but australia boycotted the first game in colombo because of a bomb that went off so Mm -hmm. they didn't go to sri lanka so the first game was in a small indian country town of about 2.2 million called vijigapatnam Mm -hmm. so australia played kenya you didn't get the 2.2 million small country no i no i got that i was just i was literally about to jump in and say yeah that's an indian small country town no i got it i got i was just i didn't know whether there was more to the gag mate i wanted i wanted to give you space can't give you much more than i wanted to give you space i I don't want to jump on top of you you know I didn't know if there was a bit of a long run up. <laughs> okay, now so so we're in India, right? And um, I'm good covering, gag. Covering, good gag. Covering, by yeah, the thank you. Yep. So it's always better when it comes a minute later. I um so I had a, like an Immarsat um, maritime telephone in a suitcase, which I found out the night before was illegal in India. But I didn't tell my bosses because it overrides the telecommunication system. So hang on, and what what's what's that for? Is that what you're That's patching? That's just to get out because you, because the even then 1996, like there was little mobile phone use and even normal phones in a lot of places in India wouldn't work. Right. So I had, the, like, was, it used to come in a suitcase. Now it just comes in a Nokia yeah, size. Yeah, yeah, But so I'm carrying this suitcase um, to the airport and I didn't want to tell the bosses about what I'd found out because I thought they'd say, you can't come. So I'm freaking out on my flight over to India. I'm thinking as soon as I get there, I'm going to hand this phone over because I don't want to be going in an Indian jail for 20 years. Yeah. So by the time I've got to Bombay, I'm in a sweat with this phone, which I thought was massive contraband and I went up to the first customs officer and I said mate mate look this is a phone log he goes what are you here for sir well I've said I'm here for the cricket and he goes take it go, go. <laughs> so look that, so my fears were allayed but but basically my, my, the way I got my break in TV was the first game Australia plays Kenya there's a live world broadcast the commentary team was supposed to be Richie Benno Ian Chappell Ravi Shastri Sonny Gavaskar Tony Gregg and all the greats wow. of the game. What happened in the night before in a bar, the producer came up to me over a couple of kingfishers and he said, look, all the guys have been caught in a travel drama. We have no commentators for the start of this game. You're you- the Stephen Bradbury of commentating, 100%. Mate. <laughs> A hundred percent. This is spectacular. Yeah, a hundred percent. They were all fell down in front of me. So, no, so the guy, and he said, they won't be here until 20 minutes after the start. And look, if you go back into the archives here at nine, you'll find that tape. And uh, sure enough, Michael Slater, who was 14th man, a young guy playing cricket at the time, and he's mm-hmm. gone on to uh, have a, a good media career, but... He and I did the commentary for the first 20 minutes of that game and, and Star TV in Hong Kong are ringing, that's not Richie Benno! And it was like, you know, the commentary was crap. I mean, like I, I was so nervous. I had the 12th man opening the bowling, Morris Adumbe, and he wasn't even playing. <laughs> that, but, but in saying that, they saw enough initiative and get up and go to give me a starting role. A few months later, I got a phone call saying, uh, there's a job that's just become available to produce a reporter role in Wide World of Sports. Do you want to look at it? And... Yeah, the rest is history. So that, that's how it started for me at nine. What was that feeling like when you realised that you were going to have to do that feeling commentary gig? Were you terrified? Were you like, yes, here it is, my chance? Were you... Duck? I- I think there, I think there was a lot of mixed feelings. I, like I, I was a few kingfishers down, so I was a bit more relaxed. <laughs> right. But um, but by the time we hit it, and, and you know we're in the middle of India, so you don't see, you don't feel like you're completely on Broadway. But as soon as they said you're on, it was fairly nerve wracking. But I but I did I did feel oh here's a great opportunity if if it's good, bad, or indifferent to actually get in front of other people. And so from from that point on, it was it was bouncing to those kind of from one of those kind of roles to the next. 
No, so so I wasn't at Nine officially at the time, so I was still at 2UE, and then I got offered a job at Channel Nine a few months later. And, and I, that's when, when I said get in front of other people, I mean for other people to hear me, not yeah. to be in front of other people professionally. Mm. But then I, I got a job as that producer reporter at Channel Nine, and I began by writing um, and reporting the updates that uh, Ian Maurice used to do on the old Wide World of Sports when Kenny and Max were there, and and the Bear would do the updates with the bow tie. Right. So I was behind that, and then just grew from there. Like my reporting uh, grew, and then I, I was doing reporting and producing side by side. So producing a lot of cricket and and produce and and reporting on all sorts of things from. Tempin bowling to rugby league to cricket to you name. So what was the first sort of big, oh, wow, I'm in the A grade now, like I'm playing in the big leagues job? Yeah, I was a bit lost to start with because TV is so different to radio mm. and, and radio is you're always on. So you go to a shift and you'd either be in the studio for six hours doing stuff on air all the time or you'd be doing a new shift. So every half hour you'd be reading the sport. But it, but in, in that kind of magazine style TV, you could be just sitting in a chair all week yeah. doing nothing. So it took me a while. I thought, I've done the right thing here. So it took a while. It was probably 1998 where we both had the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur where uh, I I got to do some uh, neat things um, in sort of minor reporting capacity but still a lot more writing. But also that year I had the chance to do a double feature on the Invincibles, uh, Sir Donald Bradman's team from 1998, from 1948. This was the 50th anniversary and there was still, uh, I think it was... 11 of them still alive 11 or 13 the number escapes me sometimes but I had the opportunity to interview them most of them I didn't get to speak to Keith Miller or Don Bradman unfortunately but I spoke to a lot of the other stars uh, Bill Brown and Ernie Toshak and Bill Johnston and Ian Johnson any of the cricket people listening to this would know all these names Arthur Morris um, so I put this two-part feature together for the cricket show and I sourced info from BBC in, in England Movie Tone News and here and that's when I thought hey this is great. Mm. I like this. Mm. I got my teeth into it. I sent them all a copy of it, all the old guys a copy, and about eight or nine of them wrote me letters back and I had them all framed. I got them at home. Oh, I've, wow. got a, I've got one with Sir Donald Bradman with his handwriting and him typing it with his stamp on it and I've got it all framed. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, now we're uh, 2017, so 2018 next year. That is uh, 20 years since 1998, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's at the moment there's one surviving member of the Invincibles, which is Neil Harvey, and, and that's what happens. The stories are either told or they're never told. And mm. I, I'm glad that I've had the opportunity. I had the opportunity back then to do that because uh, even at some of the speaking corporate things, I've come back and showed that and showed uh, when telling my life story, saying this was a real marker for me. And and people still like the story because it's such an amazing story of this team that went over there. Sir Donald Bradman was after the war, blew the candles out on his forty birthday at Lords. They were still on rations in England. The place, London, was still jammed, but there were crowds lining up out the front to go home because they couldn't get in with their lunches. It was quite extraordinary. And they went on and they just dominated and they won the whole thing. Just quickly on the topic of the sort of radio versus television thing, you were saying a little bit about the difference between the performance style. <clears throat> but in terms of the business, the one thing that that I'm that's interested me because I've sort of done more TV in the kind of last three or so years since leaving full-time, you know, contracted radio 
I've noticed this sense of longevity within this business in particular where a lot of the people you see on telly right now have really worked their way up through the ranks and have had quite a long career. Um, and there seems to be a sense of, I don't know, commitment to you as a talent um, to kind of go from job to job to job. Whereas in radio, uh, there's not a long-term commitment from a company to say, yes, you will be a part of this staple for 30, 40 years. Whereas here at Channel 9, it feels like you can arguably have a career, uh, you know, a Ken Sutcliffe-style career and, and be on the same network, uh, you know, and be working in TV for decades. Do you feel that or am I... Well, well, well I think there's a simple answer to it. There's a lot more people in television. Mm. Um, and that was one of the things that I had to get used to early on. You not only had producers and researchers, you had uh, you had people who manned the cameras, you had sound, you had audio. Like the Today Show, there'd be, like if you counted them all up, there'd be 80 to 90 staff. Yeah. Uh, like if you count everyone together who go into putting that show together so there's an enormous difference in people um Mm. and and how many people go to make up tv uh radio is also one of those things that is is so wedded um to the ratings when they come out periodically look the ratings are very important in tv but uh part of the appeal of people on tv sometimes can be the fact that uh they're familiar i feel comfortable with them Mm. Uh, and i think that that can be an advantage it can be a disadvantage if you don't move with the times because you need to move with the times and be relevant. But, yeah, television tends to like particularly today's shows and news and other things. They like to – people at home, and I'm one of them, you you like to feel comfortable with who you're seeing. Which is great if you're the person on the desk. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, but it takes time to stay. Yeah, of course. Uh, Look, that's my simple explanation. But, but yeah, radio is is a a difficult game. It's put together by just a few people. as you said before, like all you need is a microphone or a telephone and you're on the air. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's one of the differences I see there. Those early gigs doing the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, that kind of stuff, as a sports reporter or some, you know, the the guy, the guy that's the go-to guy for sport, is, is your Olympics your kind of mecca? Well, I only did two. Like uh, we did um – Although I did more, I'd like to, I did, did some stuff on the Sydney Olympics, but I did it for an a, an Asian broadcaster. So I, I, they allowed me to do some freelance work. But uh, 2010 in Vancouver uh, and 2012 in London. So I got two really really good Olympic games, mm. and, I, and I love them both. Um, and 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 in both, I had this really roaming brief that I could be doing the biathlon at the and then doing the war on ice. This is Vancouver. So I really love that. In London, you know, it was great, the same thing, just the opportunity. Um, Mecca in the sense of it's great being involved in those big things, but they you can't really um, hang your hat to them because they don't always come along. And it depends whether you're the host broadcaster. So if you're the host broadcaster, the whole caravan goes there. But if you're not, it's only going to be a few people that, that went. So if I never have another Olympic Games from a, from a host broadcast perspective, I'd be cool with that. Mm. Um, you've got to appreciate what you've done and had and can't always think that it's going to happen again they're very particular the olympic games uh i remember being on air i can't remember which olympic games it was but because we didn't have the rights to the broadcast we couldn't even say olympics (laughs) no yeah you know i'm like what how what what do we say like that thing that's going on over there the big sport event you know with the rings (laughs) we're allowed to say olympics in the podcast yeah i think we'll be fine (laughs) i don't think enough people listen that they'll sue us uh so what is there any one sort of event or anything that you've covered in the years that you've thought oh this is the standout i think that there's been lots of different things uh that 
I've really, really enjoyed. Like I say, the, those Olympic Games. I've done so much uh, work at football games, you know, state of origin games. Um, I did a, a, what I really enjoyed, uh, and it was a sad story, of course, um, after the, the Christchurch um, earthquake. Mm. The, that year, there was supposed to be a test match, a rugby league test match played in Christchurch, and obviously Jade Stadium was, um, you know, had liquefaction all over it. You weren't able to do anything. So I went over uh, to Christchurch and did a story because the test match was moved to the Gold Coast and I was up in the stands and came across with a lot of people that were um, affected by the earthquake Mm. and some had lost loved ones and uh, they all flew over and we were in the stands at the Gold Coast and it was raw uh, but from a job satisfaction point of view um, it was, was an amazing thing to work on. Those those kind of things in this show and this kind of brekkie television format in particular, you are always front row centre for the big sort of stories and the big situations, you know, the Queensland floods or, the you know, the cyclone recently. Um, so I guess you're always – there's always an opportunity to really see firsthand how these kind of things – affect people um, and there's a skill in that too you know to it's fine to be able to sit on the desk and kind of you know talk about certain things with levity and and have a bit of a joke and whatever but actually being able to shift gears and be the person that can facilitate a bit of an honest open genuinely empathetic kind of chat with people whose lives are falling apart or who's who've been affected in certain things I guess while I suppose it's not a good part of the job, there is a depth to the job that maybe you don't get in some other gigs. It's real, isn't it? Mm. it it's, it's transparent. It's real. And, and sometimes you, you do a good job and sometimes you look back and you say, oh, I don't know if I quite got that right. But like in we, as we define sports broadcaster or newscaster or weather presenter, I think in these roles you really need to be a broadcaster mm. to start with because – if you're not ready to go on a lot of fronts, um, you will limit yourself. So uh, I think all the experience, I can, I can only speak personally, but all the experience that I've had doing all sorts of different things and uh, working and, and, and having things that didn't go right and um, then progressing and having a family, all those things help you because then you can hopefully be empathetic, but you can also... Um, be reflective of a lot of people sitting in lounge rooms all around the country. You, you know, my life is not too dissimilar to most people's lives. You know, I, I'm married, I've got three children, and thank God they're all healthy and well. And But you go through all the different things that everyone does. Um, mm. You know, they don't go to bed when you want them to sometimes. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah, all the trials and tribulations. So, yeah, I think that helps. But also all that experience of being in areas where you have stuffed up or been late and had America fade out on the that all that stuff helps <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, for you when you need to stay composed and be relaxed and think clearly. Do you think, because this is a very high profile gig on the Today Show and often there's a lot of scrutiny in the media, do you think you get off a bit scot-free? Because I don't tend to see, you know, photos of you in your, in your singlet going to the shops in, you know, new NW magazine or anything. It's pretty unfortunate. <laughs> the, uh, like, no, as I said, look, I just don't... Um, so you see that in a lot of different things. Some people uh, get a lot of attention and others don't. And what do you think is the because ma- because your version of events to me is the perfect situation. Great gig, and then you get to go home and you don't have to worry about somebody taking a photo of your visible panty line. But you know you're not under that kind of scrutiny. And if it does get taken, 
I don't think that many people pick up on it. A couple of things that have been picked up on is when Kelly Osborne came on and kissed us. Uh, she gave us a kiss. If you, go, if you Google in. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. That, so there hasn't been a lot. But, uh, but the, the, the panty line thing actually did happen in a kind of way. We were up at Noosa last year and uh, we were doing stand-up paddleboarding and uh, one of the, uh, the, the media outlets did write something up with a photo of my big gut hanging out <laughs> saying, oh, Tim Gilbert <laughs> showing his... His dad body, although they weren't very, uh, yeah, so it did happen. But, yeah, look, I just think, um, I don't know, people might find me boring, you know, or just ho-hum, but that's cool. And, uh, look, I don't think your role necessarily has to be a role that is that public beyond what you do. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And you see it with actors like Jeffrey Rush could probably get on a bus with a hat and yeah, exactly. no one would notice him. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's, it takes all types. Uh, we are going to wrap up shortly. Uh, j- just uh, firstly, because I'm, I'm almost at the end of my questions, but secondly... What was, what was the invoice figure to, by the way? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, really? Yeah, you're doing this for the love of it, mate. Ducking. You're doing this because you care deeply about me as a human oh, being. I do. I, that lo- is- I, I love you deeply. <laughs> That's why you're doing this. Um, the other reason that I'm wrapping it up is because mm. we, I think we're both going to have scoliosis by the end of this sitting on this uncomfortable couch I twisting. Think this, I think this couch <laughs> was here before me. <laughs> well, I've tried to set up something as comfortably as I can in one of the wardrobe rooms here at Channel 9. But to be honest, we're all, the couch is uncomfy. We're all twisted. I can see you shuffling every five seconds. I'm worried about you. Are you comfy? Don't Are you worry. uncomfy? I'll, I'll text the osteo. <laughs> you can shoot the bill through to me. That's, that, no. that's what the payment will be. Um. What do you reckon is the best and the worst part about this industry? The best part, I think, is what we discussed before. You know, that you can be uh, a bit of a interface for the rest of the world for people. And I see that that's what our job is as journalists or broadcasters, is to be a messenger for people who are either driving in their cars, listening to the radio, or sitting at home watching the television. So that's a nice thing. I really like that. Sometimes when you get more experience, I've actually stopped interviews that I was taping and and said to the guy, I said, buddy, look, do you realise that this camera is only on you? It's not on me. And no one really cares what I'm saying. So all they're focused on is what you're saying. So if you want to give me short answers or be smart or whatever, it's not going to reflect well on you. So think about what you're saying. Will you often say that to... You no, know, I've only done it a couple of times to, to people that were fairly new. I just, right, just, just, yeah. I'm, just, I'm trying to help you here. Think about what you're doing because there may be only one little grab that's taken out and the politicians are all wised up on it now. They know that they get tight, sharp grabs. Mm. So they've got to, be, they've got to think about it. But you, you know what I mean. Like, yes, don't, I... don't try and be a smarty pants. Just, just try and be the best that you can be because this is your chance to show your football team or whoever you're representing that you're doing a good job and you've got their best interest at heart. And I think that's one of the good things about you is that, you know, you understand it's a long time, long-term game and it doesn't pay to be a dickhead. You know? Well, look, it, it doesn't. You've, and it doesn't pay to be – the thing that you, – you also asked me what I don't like. Mm. I don't like those who use their public role to slam other people or have a crack or, you know, to, and there's, it goes back in psychology, not that I'm a psychologist, but quite often when people are having a go at others, they're really just trying to lift themselves up. Of course they are. And, look, I have some fun sometimes and maybe I'll be critical of a, a sporting team or a sports person, but hopefully I do it in a way where if I was seeing them face-to-face, we could discuss 
discuss it. Mm. I, I wouldn't have a go at their their private lives or their decisions or personal. I never get personal mm. and I don't think you ever should. That's what I don't like. I don't like it when people get personal and some people die in their whole careers on getting personal. Yeah, and particularly because it is a long-term game. I've seen some people, you know, need to ask favours later in life, uh, you know, eight years down the track. That bom, they, bom. Yeah, they can't ask a favour because they've in the early days thought, I'll get this quick sugar hit of attention for tearing this person down and it is a small business and there are plenty of people that keep rotating round and round and round and I think, you know, even even doing this podcast, there are plenty of people, if I'd been a complete and utter dickhead the, my entire career, that would have said, I nah. Didn't know we were allowed to swear. <laughs> well, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I this wouldn't do it in, <laughs> no, la- in a ladies' company. <laughs> Presbyterian <laughs> Ladies' College as well. Goodness gracious. You couldn't possibly. But, you know, I think to myself, some a lot of the people that I'm chatting with and interviewing and, and you know, touching base with now are people... I, I worked with 10 years ago, eight years ago, and Mm. they go, of course, no worries, you know, and you think you just never know. It just, I remember meeting somebody on my first day in radio at my first gig and sort of I was naive, I was young, I had was like wide-eyed. I thought everybody was going to be nice to each other. I thought everybody wanted to be friends and like we were all going to treat each other well. And he was just a total opposite of that. And I, I made mention of something and he laughed at me like I was some naive young girl. And he said to me, I am not here to make friends. And I thought to myself, well, I really am. I really am. And there's nothing there. If for what, what, what are we striving for? If you're striving for fame and fortune and, and being this sort of, I don't know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street kind of individual... There is nothing there. Mm. So you've got to all... And look, and I am far from perfect. That's another thing I want to say. Look, I know. I've, I am warts Come and on, all. Come on, mate. You're I'm so na- perfect. No, no, no. I'm completely <laughs> not perfect and I haven't been well, perfect. nobody is. And nobody is. Nobody. But you also need to start your broadcast every time you go on it, realising that. And hopefully people at home realise that as well, by the way, that you broadcast with hopefully some self-deprecation that, you know, some of my decisions have been foolish or... So, so we're all in that boat together. Yes. So you don't want to paint yourself as some sort of um, uh, virtue of um, you know uh, of a perfect person because no one is that. But being nasty, there's nothing in that because it nothing. comes back to bite you. Of whether course. whether the karma comes at night when you're by yourself or it comes by the the person that you bag being your boss and sacking you it can mm. come in either way mm. but i think if you are a nasty person it does come back to bite you in some way definitely eventually uh, eventually it definitely does and i think from that relatable standpoint you know for you on tv or that's what viewers listeners that's what they want that's what they connect with and nobody in anybody's nobody in life in real life likes the guy that sits down at the table and goes my life is awesome and everything's mm. great everyone thinks that guy's a chump so the same thing applies on telly or on radio you know you can smell that kind of stuff a mile off and i think it's you know important if you want to connect we to your all audience fo- we all have had a few foot faults in life oh of course um, yeah nobody's we're all sort of just wandering around on this rock working out what the hell we are doing we're actually, we're actually sitting on a couch which feels like a rock <laughs> We are just compromising our spinal health for the for the. And I'm a lot older than you. Yeah, that's true, and I appreciate the effort. I need to rub it in. Okay, you got you got the final five questions. We're into all right. Are they quick answers? No, no, mate. You, you, we got time. We got all the time all right, in the cool. world, all right? We haven't got a producer in our ear telling us to wrap it up. We've got to go to an ad break. We can talk all day if you want. Quick in TV. <laughs> um, your biggest regret? No regrets. Um, I think it's the worst and most wasted 
uh, emotion um, because they're all part, and this is going to sound like some old uh, philosophical comment, but, you know, everything that you might regret has actually been part of uh, your learning process. So sometimes if you did the wrong thing or this, that and the other, you can't really regret it. You say, well, that's what happened. Mm. Hopefully I, I learnt by that. I truly believe that to be the case, but, geez, it's easier to say that when you're in a gig you like at that time and you go, everything's led me here because I love where I am. But sometimes on the journey when you're kind of in a hole and you're like, oh, geez, am I ever going to get out of this? And like, you think, geez, there are a few things that I shouldn't have, but you're right. It's but that's so the true. only way, you know, to be honest, because uh, like, we've all had those moments mm. where we're sort of in a space where we're thinking, oh, I don't like this. Mm. But unless you do keep that headspace correct, it you'll won't get right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I, well, I don't think it would. Mm. And those kind of experiences, I think some of the worst times in my professional career are the absolute best times. Mm. Looking back now in terms of what I learnt from them, how I grew at the time, all those kind of things, even though at the time they were kind of really rubbish, now I look back at them and I'm going, man, they are some killer stories that I can tell, oh, yeah. you know, at the, at the dinner table. Um, your dream gig could be this one. Yeah, look, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I, I, I think that um, I, I really enjoy it, actually. Was it, this the dream? Well, not not really. I don't know if I ever had a dream job. Uh, I knew the sphere I wanted to work in. So, yeah, I bet I do. I really like it. And I've grown to like it more as time's gone by. I would say the last three years of my career have been the most enjoyable. I, I've had a really happy career and, mm. you know, we've got to work a lot more years let left to pay the bills but um no no i do i really enjoy it so mm. for as long as it goes for I'm, I'm happy yeah it's cool and and hopefully um you know we, we've got it but you've got to be you've got to be strong the whole time you mm. can't just you know we might go have a bad day one day well it's it's up to everybody um to lift and move on i mean yeah. it's we're not fighting a war here, but you've just got to stay upbeat because the hours can be a little bit unpleasant. Sometimes when that alarm goes off, you don't particularly want to get up, but it's it's good fun and it's a really good team as well. You've got to leave your crap outside the studio door too. Yeah, and you can tell when someone's brought oh, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've worked with some that just can't leave it behind and oh, you're like, yeah. really? Oh, this is going to be a long three yeah, hours. Zip it up and chuck it <laughs> yeah. out the door, yeah. This is going to be real tough. Uh, even though you said that this was uh, not necessarily the dream gig did you know this was a possibility or was getting the call up for this gig a surprise or did you sort of know you were on the step by step towards it well to see if you go back i did this job in in a different incarnation with steve liebman and tracy grimshaw Mm. uh Back wow. around 2000, mm-hmm. like when you were still at school. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I wasn't so that's, at why, school. that's why you never saw me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but so, and then I have been on and off this show ever since doing different things. Uh, and I did the weekend today show for, I think, four years. And uh, so, and I used to always fill in um, whether it was when Cameron was away or Benny was away. So it was always there. But um, yeah, I, I thought maybe one day it might be. Uh, become full-time but I, I, I sort of I was enjoying just coming in and coming out because I had all the other stuff that I was doing yeah but to be honest I still don't mind doing bits and pieces of other things but it's nice just to have your head down and not work weekends because as a sports reporter I had like 20 years straight where I work weekends mm, yeah and I got three kids and I, I love going to watch their sport and I really like you know, being with them like last weekend we went to see the Smurfs and we also saw Boss Baby and we went temping is that bowling. good that movie Boss Baby? Boss Baby was all right. You needed to be out there to to sort of get it. It gets a bit weird, but... yeah. Uh, a big is there a big idea that you haven't crossed off the to do list yet? Something that you want to do? Make a movie, write a book, write a TV show? Is this 
Mainly, and, mainly travel and mm. and travel with my wife and children and, and go to different places. So it's less career stuff, more leisure stuff. Do you have much? Because you do get a fair break, kind of at the end of the year, so maybe yeah, a few so weeks. Yeah, I, I had a fair break last year. We took the kids to Canada. Uh, so it depends. Uh, mm. It depends when you get. You just got to take it when it's there. I think. You, I think you need to have perspective in your life. You, yeah. you, your home life needs to be the most important thing, and it will make you better at your job as well. Definitely. Um, I think. It, I think it's helped me. Definitely. Uh, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Not in media showbiz. Is there anything else that you would have done if you wouldn't have gotten into this? Yeah. Selling mangoes at the free shop? <laughs> Maybe. There's some wealthy guys selling mangoes and rock melons. $10 a rock melon now, buyer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. Uh, I suppose, I don't know, I might have gone down an administrative side of things. I You'd be surely you'd be hosting Sound of Music tours over in Europe <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Gayhawk von Trapp, all the way from Australia with his version of Edelweiss. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. I could be doing anything, selling donuts, cars. Anything. Oh. I've always had that conscious knowledge of earning money, though, because having uh, my parents, beautiful people, um, and they raised us, you know, we didn't have millions of dollars, but we had the best upbringing. But one of the things that was always a reminder was that you needed to have money and you needed to work. So, yeah, I'd, I'd find a way. Uh, you're Lebanese, aren't you? Well, mum, mum was born there and mm. dad's like fifth generation Irish English. So, yeah, but right. mum came here in sort of 1938, 39, she's a little girl. So oh, wow. if she sat down here, she's 84 this year, you, you wouldn't be able to detect that, uh, yeah, she speaks with a very clear Aussie mm. tone. Um, but, yeah, I, I grew up with all the heritage and all the food and I'm very proud of that as mm. well. And, uh, and my mum used to speak to my sister, my grandmother, when they didn't want us to know anything. They'd speak in Lebanese like, oh, we are going to go to Luna Park that day. <laughs> uh, and that's another thing I think that's really helped is having a bit of the, the two cultures oh, has 100%. helped be able to relate to people as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Because a big part of uh, the listening or viewing audience in Australia is a multicultural and we need we need to be in tune with all of that. Mm, definitely. Final question, your advice to people wanting to get into the business? Be resilient. Follow your dreams. If someone says you can't do it, if as long as it's not flying to the moon with your own arms as wings <laughs> and it's completely impossible and unachievable, go for it. Do it. I mean, what's to stop you? Uh, and like they... You know, the only thing that has stopped so many people in the past has been others saying, oh, no, it's too risky, you shouldn't do that. Well, why? Mm. Why can't you be that person? Why can't you be the one that, you know, is at the top of the podium? I say go for it. Uh, Timmy, thank you for risking your spine to join me on the podcast. Are you all right? Uh, it's a scoliosis. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've both got... I've been sitting at this kind of weird rakish angle now for about an hour. I'm in a lot of pain, but I feel like I haven't portrayed that to you and you I'm haven't. really proud of myself. Thank God you're a Reiki master. I'm a bloody professional. That's what I'll I am. tell you what, you're an absolute delight. Oh, I've enjoyed our now. little chin work. I've had a great time. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you are enjoying these episodes as much as I am enjoying sitting down with these delightful people and having a chat about their careers. If you like the show, please head to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to the show and leave a review. I have been told by quite a few people that it's a frustrating process 
So I believe the key is to find a name that isn't taken by anybody else because apparently a few people have tried to leave a review, I've been told, and gotten all the way to the end of the review only to be kicked out. And I can tell you, if that was me, I wouldn't go back to do another one either. So just to avoid that, I think you have to come up with some kind of XJZ70 asterisk asterisk style uh, name because pretty much every name on the internet is taken these days. If you have an interest in creating your own podcast, you can head to podschool.com.au, my online podcasting course, which can help point you in the right direction of all of the things that you need. I basically stand with you step by step through every part of the process. And I've got all of the information on the website there that you can find out about what's involved in the course. And next week, I'm chatting to funny man, Lawrence Mooney. This is a great chat that you do not want to miss. He is very open, very honest, very raw. Uh, And he talks about a lot of things, including some of the lowest moments in his life. I remember I was driving this old Renault Fuego (laughs) and I was on my haunches outside the mechanics because it had broken down and uh, I'd kind of like lurched down to Hawthorne and it's like, my life's out of control. And I just sat with my head in my hands and I had to do a comedy festival show that night. And I was just like, Blobby tears, blobby tears on the asphalt. It's like, no, this is no good. It's a great chat with a very funny guy and I hope you'll join me. I'll see you then.